Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable. Brought to you by Philly Boots and Rugby Store. They have just restocked their boot room with the latest styles to ensure that everyone looks slick and sharp for that first game back, whenever that will be. From the latest boots for front row scrummagers, right through to the fancy footwork wingers, Rugby Store have options for everyone. And because you're listening to our show, you can get 10% off that new pair of boots or anything else in store by visiting their website, rugbystore.co.uk and entering the promo code FYBPOD at the checkout. Again, that's rugbystore.co.uk and enter the promo code FYBPOD. This week, we return to the live discussions as the panel and I discuss, discuss club development and how it's been affected by lockdown. Let's get on with the show. <laughs> no problem. So, good evening, gents. Uh, my name's Larry Alaka. Uh, hang on, mate. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're a bit keen here. Let's, let's do an intro. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's let's take over the show. Love the show, Sean. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's uh, Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable. Uh, uh, it's our first panel discussion for a couple of weeks. Uh, we took a couple of weeks off um, and we replaced ourselves with. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I chat with uh, WWE's um, John Bradshaw Layfield, and then last week we did a little chat with uh, Bruce Aitchison. Um, so if you haven't watched them or listened to them, go and check them out. Uh, but welcome back. Um, yeah, we, as I said, we took a couple of weeks off. Um, so this is our first live panel for a couple of weeks, uh, and I'd like to introduce you to our panel. Uh, so we've got Jordan Young from uh, Trinity Guild RFC. We've got uh, Ewan Ledbetter from Burton RFC and uh, Larry Alakaka from uh, my club and my captain, uh, Rachel Decker RFC. How are we, gentlemen? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very good. good very good. Afternoon. Uh, thank you for uh, for coming on tonight. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be another another interesting chat about all things uh, grassroots rugby. Uh, as always, if you want to get involved in the discussions, of course you can. Uh, enter the enter some enter some questions, enter some points into into the chat section uh, and we'll try and get through them as much as we can in sort of the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. Um, so as always, uh, we sort of start the roundtable by asking uh, each member of the roundtable to talk about their club and how they fared during lockdown. So uh, Jordan, how did you get on with uh, Trinity Guild? Yeah, so um, lockdown's a bit strange for me. Um, kind of stepped down from a coaching role in a club in Birmingham um, and actually joined Trinity Guild almost during the lockdown period, actually. So a very strange time to join a club. Um, joined in a more of a club development role. Um, so I could focus on a... Uh, just kind of focusing down on a few coaching commitments. I was probably spread a bit thin last year. Um, so yeah, actually joined the club during lockdown. Uh, just a nice time to think for every club to make changes or or kind of look at new projects potentially so um yeah it was a good time to be starting at a club um in that kind of development piece really so yeah it's a strange time during lockdown it's all blank canvas a bit of a blank canvas 
Can you hear me? No. Yeah. I completely lost you there, Sean. <laughs> I said it's a bit of a blank canvas. No. No, nah, he's gone again. <laughs> he's gone again. <laughs> Ewan, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, the roles that you've got with uh, with your club. And, and uh, I know you do some refereeing and you're part of some other uh, groups as well. Yeah, so um, basically, obviously in Gloucester at the moment, doing some my degree there. Um, bit of a weird one. Lockdown came along. We all finished uni early for the year. All went up in the air. Um, back at uni now, enjoying it again. Um, but yeah, refereeing is just obviously completely died at the moment. Um, so I've actually taken gone into it, doing a bit of coaching at the moment. So I've now started out with a new ladies team at a local club, um, helping them out and trying to keep involved in rugby in one way or another. That's great. And uh, what, what club is that that you're coaching? With so I'm coaching, I'm coaching at Barton, which is just on the road. It's almost like the little uh, little brother or sister of Burton, which is where I'm from originally. And that's my home club. That um, Yeah, I started out with them, with the Young Ambassador Programme back in 2014. Um, could never really play. It was always a bit rubbish. So I went down the coaching and uh, coaching the referee re- instead. That's great. Yeah. Uh, we need referees and we need coaches. So uh, Most definitely. Yeah. Keep up the great work. And uh, Larry, uh, captain of the club that I play for, uh, Rick Decker, how are you? How was lockdown? How was lockdown for the club? Um, your point of view? So, yeah, from as pretty much of every club up and down the country, just rugby suddenly stopped uh, sort of towards the tail end of March. Um, it's been a bit, well, I think for many people, well, pretty much everyone, when lockdown first kicked in, it was just a bit... Just people didn't know what to do, where the country was going, and so on and so forth. Um, but as things started to ease up again, uh, we've also we've also tried to maintain the socialness of the club by having these Zoom calls on a Friday. And then when that sort of petered out, we started getting back into the bit of training towards the middle or start of August. Um, sort of the, um, keeping to the RFU rules, um, RFU guidelines, the A, B, C, D, E plan, and um, yeah, it's just um, yeah, we just I guess yeah, we're just trying to find our way back into it as with every other every other club up and down the country. But um, main thing for me and for the club is just to maintain that sort of social aspect with um, um day to day members, um, members that play on the weekdays and people that stare for um the social bits as well. Just trying to maintain that socialness has been a uh, quite paramount for us as well. Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, you and on the sort of the side of refereeing, you said you're doing some refereeing. Um, is it a good time to almost, if, if you're if you're a player or, or coach and you're looking for something to do, something to improve on, is is taking a referee's course worth it right now? Right, this is this is a golden opportunity. We're very unlikely to ever get this opportunity again, where you can take a break from that physical high-end contact week in week out and do some extra learning. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how many players do go away and learn about the new breakdown and what referees are going to be looking for, whether we're going to come back onto the pitch and be blowing 30, 40 penalties like we've seen in the Super Rugby. <laughs> but uh, there we go. Um, no, I think, look, you can never, like, as a, like, if I'm coaching and, and you win matches based on the amount of penalties you give away rather than any of the, like, playing aspects of the game. So I think it is, yeah, it's a, it's a no-brainer, really, to go and... You don't have to do the full refereeing course, but go and watch some little bits here and there and just educate yourself a bit more. Definitely. 
Welcome back, Jordan. Can you hear us? Yeah, back. So literally, Wi-Fi's been flying all day, and uh... we can't hear him. But we... has he got mute on? Better. No. Yeah. Still I, I, can, I, I, I can hear Jordan. I can hear, I can hear him. him. Oh, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> Wi-Fi has been flying all day, and then uh, decides to have a, a night off. So I'm not sh- sure if anyone else can hear him. Can anyone else? Yeah. Hear Jordan? If Jordan yeah, speaks, yeah. What about anyone watching? Can, if Jordan speaks, can you hear him? Try again now. How about that? Someone just I can hear Jordan. Hi, everybody else. Just Sean stitching me up. Yeah, I think it's uh, sure enough. Sounds like a stuff here at the moment, mate. Must be me. Must be me. Uh, okay, we'll try. We'll try and keep going. And uh, if you say something, people might hear it. I just won't. The other guys will smile and it sound like I know what I was talking about. <laughs> Someone's gonna have to repeat what he said. Hang on. Hang on. It's me. Hang on. They can hear you loud and clear. Cheers, Beasley. Uh, right. Okay. I'm coming out of this then. Uh, in the meantime. Uh, how tough has lockdown been on uh, sort of club finances or player recruitment or anything like that? Um, you know, talk amongst yourselves, and I'll be try and get my uh, try and get my sound sorted. I think in terms yeah. of uh, player recruitment, it's actually given a lot of opportunity to people. So people have like they've missed the social aspect, and you can see that down at the club. The amount of people are coming back, they're uh, socially distancing for a beer or a drink after the games or training or whatever. And you can see that people are enjoying that again. So, yeah, that's really good to see. Yeah, I think we're going to put a, um, like, ongoing, ongoing restrictions. I think we're going to have a campaign, basically. You know, you can't go and see your mates uh, down the park. You can only see five of your mates. Well, I don't even know what the new rules are. I can't keep up with it. But you can see you see 19 of your mates at training. So, there you go. Um, so, we're going to be kind of be pushing that kind of, just that player retention, especially. Like, you know, you can't go out for, for a few beers with the lads, but come down the club and you can see them all on one training session. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting time, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that we can all go rugby training and then can't have that beer, can't socialise. We've all just got to, you know, leave sort of unceremoniously. Yeah, in regards to, in regards to um, um, training and retention. So we've been hosting our training sessions in a local park and but as a byproduct of that, hoping to sort of catch some stragglers or people just walking or doing their bit of exercise to see as um, as a, sort of an advertisement of um, rugby and see if they actually want to try and join. Um, don't think we've had any too much uptake from potential new players as of it yet. But any advertising you can do during lockdown, or any any advertising throughout any of the year and exposing the public to rugby, it's always a win-win situation, really. And we just mentioned that uh, referee isn't there. Yeah, it's a golden opportunity to to recruit referees and, and and coaches and stuff like that. Is it a golden opportunity to uh, recruit some new players, players that may not have ever played before? Because we're almost starting from scratch, you know, learning the basics, that sort of thing. I think so, definitely. Especially just the odd occasional person that might watch like maybe a Six Nations match or an international match, but never really thought about probably getting involved at the club level. Um, as I say, when we, where we do our training is in a local park. So uh, as I say, the, one of the byproducts of that hopefully would be trust to try and c- catch some interest from someone who may not necessarily may not even want to play, but maybe want to get, get involved in a club or maybe want to get involved doing maybe some coaching if they have some requisite experience. And even refereeing, you never know what you might get just by 
just by having it advertised to people that they can see that there is something actually out there for them might not necessarily be playing but it could be so much more it's more than just the actual physical aspects of the game there's so much more to rugby at the grassroots level that people can really get involved with so other than um it's almost word of mouth other than word of mouth what what could clubs be doing to to recruit new players that would are those types of players that you said that may never have played before or you want to recruit some volunteers like what can a, a club do that especially during a, a sort of a, a fallow period where there's no there's no games happening or anything like that how can a club rec- do that recruitment i think rugby is one of those quite niche sports where you either love it or you hate it and in terms of that physical contact aspect of things, people will be like all over it or they'll be like, actually, it's not for me. But I think a good opportunity and a good way of recruiting people is to go through the touch rugby route. So you invite them down for a game of touch and then if they're enjoying it, you bring them onto the physical side of contact and you then escalate it from there and you take it as far as they want to take it. I think we've got to be careful that we're not pushing people out of the sport because they don't want to take part in the physical aspect and the physical contact week in, week out. Part of the reason that I don't play is like I'll be aching for the next four weeks after the game. I'm like, I don't enjoy this. So I'll find, I'll find a different part to do or part to play in rugby. And we don't need thousands and thousands of players week in, week out. What we do need is the backroom staff to manage the teams, the paperwork, the admin, left, right and centre. Because at the moment, we've got a lot of old people doing this. At some point, we're going to need some new generation, some new blood who are going to take take over these more like tedious jobs, but those tedious jobs are the jobs that keep a club running. A hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, Jordan, you said you've joined you've joined Trinity Guild to um, do some club development work. Uh, what is that entailing? Uh, what what can happen in sort of the short, the medium, and the long term? Yeah, so um, the club actually is in. Um... Because the one thing that hasn't been impacted for us really financially is um, probably the, the classic, uh, you know, land developer buying you out piece at the moment. So we're currently on a temporary, temporary site. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting. But you know, we've actually launched a women's team, uh, kind of off the back of the lockdown. Uh, so that's going quite well. Uh, we're actually launching a disability section as well. Um, and it's a strange club in that. Um, probably hasn't got a men's re- 15 regularly playing at the moment, like, you know, week in, week out, established in the league. So um, just in terms of our player retention piece is, for me, is to find an alternative, you know, if they don't want to play 15 aside, you know, do we have a sevens piece and we actually change our season and change the way we look at it? And um, it's just finding new ways. Our focus generally will be finding just different ways for people to engage in the game. We're not going to get bogged down um, with how our first team's getting on, which is basically the, the dominating section of every committee up and down the country, it seems, is, you know, the first team are going well. Well, according to that, it means the club's going well. And actually, the first team might be the only thing going well at the club and the rest actually needs work. So, um, yeah, I think short term for us now is just um, strengthening the sections we have. You know, trying to, quite exciting to work with the, this women's team. You know, stage by stage is actually allowing us to, to probably get through a lot of technique work and uh, really hone on those skills for some of the new players rather than trying to rush into games because you can. Um, so that's been that's been quite nice. And then effectively, we'll be just trying to strengthen what we do so that when we do move to our new side in a couple of years, that that kind of opening day is is packed. And that's that's kind of the, the aim for us, really, is 
really make a big showpiece of our of our new facility when we have it and have a rugby club that's fit for the quality of facility we're going to have so is the new facility in in the in the building at the moment or instead yeah of so to... uh land i think the land is being prepared i mean i i just go to the rugby side of it but um i think the land is i think the land is i don't really know to be honest there are plans in place we can still tweak those plans as well which is quite exciting so you know if i think there's a total budget for the project and you know we can kind of choose to maybe allocate certain bits of that to you know whether it be extra lighting instead of two extra changing rooms or i mean that's an exaggeration really but you know that kind of that kind of thing that we can basically make i think for us is to go what do you think the club's going to look like in 2023 2024 and how can we be have a facility where we're not applying for grants like we've got a chance to to build the facility as we want it we shouldn't be going to you know oh we need another we need to speak to the rfu facilities team because we've got not got enough lights um you know that kind of thing so it's um yeah it's an interesting it's been an interesting so project how, but so how much has covid affected the the time scale or the, the money uh I guess for us is um, the club wasn't necessarily um, so the, the sections that the club had in terms of the M and J's regularly and the O2 touch they're they, you know they're back up and running um, not far off where they were so financially from that point of view we we, we aren't not been impacted um, and then from the building perspective um, well I guess these things never actually are built on time are they you know <laughs> HS2 is delayed by about twenty years so. Um, <laughs> I get free rail travel by the time that's built. <laughs> Grandad. <laughs> um, Jordan and you, um, I understand you're both part of uh, the RFU National Youth Council. Is that right? Yeah, it is indeed. And uh, congratulations to Jordan. He's just been uh, selected to be our chair for the following year. So big up oh, to fantastic. him. Congratulations, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you. So what what does that entail? What does you know, what does the youth council do? Um, it's not something I particularly know about a lot about. So uh, just give us a give us a quick rundown. Uh, yeah, I try to get summarize. Effectively, a youth sounding board is, is kind of the, the the overall kind of piece you would call call what the youth council do. And um, over the last kind of three or four years, I think as the RFU's changed its business model, same the youth council's changed its model as well. So. Uh, if you think back three or four years of the Young Rugby Ambassadors and all those conferences and those recognition events, we were, youth council were very heavily involved in that. And then as that kind of started to change how that ran, um, we actually became more of a sounding board and we had different areas of the RFU business asking our opinions, you know, youth insight into social media, commercial, you know, right across the board. Actually some DNI work as well quite early on, which is, was pretty interesting. Um, just looking at kind of, how the how we could kind of attract more non-rugby people to the RFU business and actually attracting people that are good for those roles, you know, accountants and all that kind of non-rugby specific roles. Um, and we've kind of previously had a kind of weekend meeting, so kind of space out throughout the year, we get together and try and get a lot of our conversations done then and then go kind of small teams working throughout the year. Um, yeah, very much changed this year by the looks of things. I think um, with all the cuts, I think the Youth Council was, was, was kind of fighting a battle there to even have any any budget. So um, very fortunate to be joined by six other people, including including Ewan, um, who are, you know, it's all voluntary anyway, but now, you know, we're not even, you know, there's, there's literally no, there's no, probably going to be no weekend meetings. It'll all be virtual. 
just us kind of trying to find the way for this year, how we can support the RFU. Uh, it's probably going to be a very digital year. Um, it's probably the best way of describing it. So how kind of digital natives that that we are as a group can can help the RFU in that way and then hopefully shape, you know, what Youth Council Influence looks like for the next five, ten years off the back of that. So that's the broad plan. What that quite looks like on a month to month for this season is going to be totally different. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of what we do, really. And uh, you and how did you get involved? So it all started off through the uh, Young Ambassador Programme back when it was, that was a separate entity. Um, back in 2014, on the build-up to the World Cup, um, got into my referee and stuck with it, got into rugby that way. And then third time lucky, I got into the National Youth Council. So two years ago now, and um, yeah, just carried on escalating the referee and the coaching and then sitting on this as well, which is, yeah, great fun. So I now sit on the competitions development subcommittee for the RFU. So we have um, we have Zoom meetings and et cetera, discussing new competition formats and new regulations, et cetera, that are potentially going to come into the game. Um, yeah, so like the new male league structures. I, I was part of that like decision-making almost from that higher level from the council boards. And then there's potentially going to be a female seat-like structure review as well, which will also be a part of. And um, again, then like stuff like the county rugby and things like that. I think there's time for a real shake-up needed there in terms of getting county rugby back up and running in certain counties obviously like there's some that are thriving off it and it works really well and then there's others it's just virtually non-existent i think there's a real opportunity now with this natural break that we've been given to uh, create some new structure to the format and how that's going to work effectively is it essentially now it's a blank bit of paper let's find something completely new that work that might work hundred percent. Like like I said earlier, this is this opportunity. We won't get this opportunity again. We can now, if the right people at the top come in and go, right, we've got this opportunity now. Yeah, let's utilise it. Then we can go for it. The only negative to that now is obviously the amount of staffing cuts that we've had in the RFU. So those people that would lead these changes, they're under job roles and et cetera, we're all swapping and changing as well. So I think patience is what we've got to have here. Like, change will happen and there will be hopefully change for the better in the long run but it's going to take a little bit of time whilst people get used to the new the new surroundings that they're in oh yeah definitely 100% it's a challenge though that review just it is a challenge though because there's a lot of talk around you know people don't want to play as often but just from my experience of a men's team coaching for the last two years like we our guys wanted to play every week pretty much or like you know we had you know, two men's teams, if the first team didn't have a game because there was no league or cup game and, you know, we felt, oh, probably, you know, played quite a few in a row here, we'll give the guys a kind of a week off. We're getting badgered to put a game on. So, you know, I think it's, it must be so difficult from, from that point of view to try and, you know, we're not going to please everybody here, are we? You know, that's going to be such a challenge that, you know, so it's even like these COVID restrictions, like, can't please everyone. I think a lot of the um, the review and the review process that happened with the male league structure format, it wasn't so much people weren't wanting to play every week. It was the travel that was done with that. So if you're like travelling, the ladies, the ladies. So the championship north goes from Cheltenham right up to Newcastle upon Tyne. So oh. people people are travelling six hours each way just for a game of rugby, and much as though they want that game of rugby, there's very limited people that have that capacity 
to be able to travel those distances week in week out and that's the sort of that's where the review process has got to come in and correct things so that that doesn't happen no for sure uh larry what's your what's your feelings on uh, uh you know localized uh, leagues rather than the distances that we have to travel um to be honest i think that at sort of our level with record deck that we play at i don't think we necessarily need to travel too far i think the furthest game we used to have at least was um farnham um which could be which could pose which did pose problems because obviously you have to sort of arrange cars but um, I think pretty much every, most of the games that I've played in the last couple of years would have been within a, let's say, about eight mile radius. Not, not nothing to nothing that would break the bank. Nothing to nothing in comparison to what you were saying about the women's game. Nowhere near that. Um, but I think yeah, having even having games more local, having this league structure that is more local is very always beneficial. Um, just builds a sort of. Um, Builds on them, um, links and bonds between um, clubs that are obviously local to you. Um, so, like for for example, as well, where teams, where where record deckers are one teams, one team, a one team side. So, if ever we don't have any games on, and say like one of our oppositions or uh, clubs close to us may may be struggling to put out a game. Having them, having those bonds built up because we played each other uh, recently or locally, we can obviously help f- um, fulfill some of their fixtures as well. Um, I don't think that would necessarily apply if you'd have to travel in excess of like 10, 20 miles away. So yeah, having 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 a lo- having local leagues and having a local structure is definitely beneficial and positive. Definitely, and it's uh, probably good time to just pause there because I'm actually contractually obliged to let you know that there is a across the the banner um, or the ticker at the bottom uh, there is a promo code for rugby store uh, they've very kindly decided to sponsor these rugby roundtables uh, now uh, so go and get 10% off anything uh, use the promo code uh, FYB pod uh, at the checkout and you can get 10% off of the New England kit or a new pair of boots new pair of shorts or whatever you need uh, that's my contractually obliged uh, plug for this roundtable. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, um, we, uh, we spoke about this. Uh, we sort of touched on it a bit earlier, but um, how have players or coaches or referees been able to to better themselves during the break? Um, Jordan, uh, how do you want to take uh, that one? Yeah, I guess just firstly is the rest, like the actual being able to pause um, without that kind of, um, like I guess traditionally you'd, you'd pause in the off season, but you'd always be thinking about the next season. Whereas like for a bit, there's actually a bit of a time where it's pausing. It was almost pointless to think about anything other than just, you know, yourself and just kind of making sure like prioritizing yourself. So me personally did a lot of reading, um, you know, um, whether it be coaches books or sports psychology books, leadership, culture, whatever it was, it was quite a, quite a broad thing, kind of a list I'd probably brought up of, you know, you're in these conversations and someone said, oh, I'll read this and you just never have time to do it. So um, there was that, just a lot of time for reflection, really, uh, probably. And, and, you know, I'd say whether that's a, as a player, coach or ref, just, you know, the last kind of six months, the, that kind of lockdown period, you're not able to go and do it and kind of think about the things that you miss, the things that you really start to think about, you know, you know, did I do things as well as I could have done if I had another chance to do some of that stuff? You know, how would I, you know, there was a, you know, I think back to a couple of games I coached last year and 
stick in my head is like you know if i had a chance to do it again how would i manage that that game week how would i manage that selection or all that kind of stuff and effectively that's all we can really do to learn for the future is kind of as much as we can read new content is just reflect on the stuff that we have done and but i think by building up that experience and kind of going you know you know i would have done that differently then next time that situation comes around you'd like to think you'd, you'd deal with it better whether you deal with it right or not is, is then a, another conversation but you definitely feel like you'd deal with it better in, in your own mind so um that for me has has made me feel feel better i feel massively re-energized anyway going back into to coaching i like just buzzing to get back like just so buzzing to get back and hopefully that energy has been infectious to the players i've been coaching and um and the numbers we've seen in training have been quite good so you know i'm gonna hope that that's probably as a result of that kind of time off and that learning and kind of refresh period really no for sure for sure larry um how do you think uh, do you think you're going to be a better player for having a bit of a rest and <laughs> one would like to think so um the impromptu went to our season um i think for the first month or maybe six weeks myself and maybe quite a lot of players were quite relieved just to give their bodies a bit of a rest um i know it's quite cliche with rugby but people do tend to play games and carry injuries whilst they're playing games so that sort of six week break where there was nothing there was no rugby being played i think my, me myself and I think some of the players as well were just happy to sort of let their bodies repair re-energize and get ready and then I've, I've definitely noticed over the last couple of months as well that people are really really chomping at the bit to really get back into rugby get back into playing get back into training our training numbers have gone up as well um I was speaking to one of the fellas from uh, Mitch McCall Schultz and he says each week each each week they're getting training sessions of having up to like maybe 20 to 30 40 people turn up and People are really, really eager to get that um, get get back into rugby, which is definitely a great thing to see. And the overall aim or objection is that yeah, you do come back a better player, come back refreshed as well. The body's refreshed, mentally you're refreshed. And um, I think with not just rugby, with all sports, um, especially um, sports where you play in a team. Um, it gives you something different to do to break up your routine, your daily routine, be it on. Um, uh be it family life or work life having that being able to play with your friends um on a saturday uh coach your friends on a saturday or referee your friends on a saturday it just gives that sort of split from your day-to-day life and it provides you something different to do and i think that's what something that i certainly (laughs) 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 something that i am certainly looking forward to getting back to and i know quite a lot of my um uh a lot of my friends are um, teammates are looking forward to get back into you. I'll, I'll stop there now. <laughs> well, it, ter- it, ter- it turns out Woody, Woody is uh, looking forward to your team talk again. <laughs> but just, 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 just on that Mitchum and Carl Shorten point as well. We've just, we've had a point from, um, from, uh, is it going to pop up on the screen? Uh, Aaron Beasley saying that uh, down at Portsmouth, uh, forty-five plus every week, uh, every Tuesday, new players coming in big push on fitness and getting out there exercising i couldn't think of anything worse than fit to be honest but it's great for them and if they've, got, if they've got 45 people to train in and they can and they can you know they're, they're turning up to fitness training as well that that's that's pretty good going yeah I found, yeah i'll definitely concur that um training numbers training numbers yeah, what i've seen and what people of other clubs have told me that they are going up and people are really really missing it um but missing rubbing itself. So 
yeah, it can only be a good thing if uh, if you've got participation numbers going up in the off season, then it gives it gives you a better chance of um for one fulfilling games and having fun in games during when the season does hopefully return. So, on sort of the the opposite of that, then if if today or tomorrow we get a, a message from the RFU saying we're going back down to stage B, do you think playing numbers and training numbers are going to drop off? I'd like to not hope so, but based on those guidelines, I think, well, possibly, yeah. That is the well, that is the fact of reality, possibly. Um, I think you'd I can't remember what B is, is it groups of B's six? The pods of six. Yes. Uh you'd like to not say you'd like to hope not, but it is a possibility, yeah. I think with more established teams, certainly you might then see the numbers dropping off, but in terms of those new founding teams and your younger players actually being at phase b is a really good opportunity to just work in those individual skills um yeah in small groups if you put like new teams with 20 30 people straight into one big environment then you quite easily run the risk of people getting lost people getting left behind etc so i think actually having those smaller groups to start with can actually be quite beneficial to some clubs. So yeah, I think whatever happens, I think the clubs, you know, you've got a new team or old team, I think the crucial bit, whatever the guidance is, is communicating out to your players and just having a clear plan of what's going on. Um, you know, so much uncertainty at the moment. Like that if you can say, look, even if we go at stage B, as like for, for most players, especially players that have played a while, I think it was a, re- a relief to get to kind of the kind of where we are now and this training looks a little bit lo- more normal, as you say. Um, but I think from, from, from my point of view is kind of, if we went back to, and we didn't train in stage B now, but, uh, if we, if that was say the, okay, a bit of a worst case really, isn't it? But if we were, we were back, we go back stage B, it's kind of like, how do we communicate to the players, manage expectations, um, maintain those friendship groups as well. Um, but how, how clear can we communicate as a club about all that would be kind of our, our main, our main plan of action for everything really is just be really clear on all communication fair across the club um, and, and yeah, really shout about how safe we are as an activity because of the guidelines we're following. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think yeah, stage B is going to be a worst case scenario, isn't it? The realistically it means it's going to drop down to C if, if it, if it drops at all. If you look at, if you look at Northern Ireland now in Scotland, um, they're actually about to play in competitive rugby. So oh, really? they're, yeah, they're about to full contact competitive rugby. And I've read some of their guidelines because we've had a lad who's come across from Northern Ireland to the scholarship that I'm on at uni and read those guidelines. And it is very much in the RFU's interest to obviously get rugby back up and running. And I personally think that it could now be we're waiting on government approval to move on to the next stage as opposed to anything else. I think the infrastructure and the guidelines that we need to put forward are there and the process has been completed, but it's now getting a department for culture, media and sport to come through and go, yep, we're going to give you the green light. And when we get that green light is now being potentially thrown back up into the air. There was some talks a couple of weeks back that we were maybe looking at a November restart for phase F, but with these new guidelines, that's yeah, it's gone back up in the air, unfortunately. But there we go. What can we do? We just at the end of the day, it's all out of our hands. We've just got to follow the rules, get on with it. There's not a lot we can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so finally, sort of the 
finally, before we, we jump into a couple of points, I know I know Ewan's got to jump off very, very shortly, but uh, w- what happens if, let's say, rugby doesn't come back for you know, the rest of this season? Are we going to start to see clubs falling by the wayside? And we know that premiership clubs are sort of teetering on the brink at the moment, whether you read into that or not. Um, but do you think our, our grassroots, our amateur clubs, I think, I think those that are run efficiently and effectively shouldn't be in any danger. Your outgoings now are going to be rather minimal um, in terms of at that grassroots level. Um, so I can't, re- can't really see why there's that, that major push on it. If they've applied for the appropriate grants when they've come out available, etc., and are doing separate sponsorship and fundraising events, which a lot of rugby clubs are doing and are being well received by members of the public and members of that rugby club, then at a grassroots level, I think I don't think we've got a lot to worry about. We're really fortunate of how much of a community rugby is and how willing people are to write, well, I'm not having a pint this week, so I'll donate a fiver instead of having a pint, et cetera, to the rugby club. And I've seen that like, and like lots of different local rugby clubs to me across the board are raising thousands upon thousands of pounds to keep ticking over. So I, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, I think personally, I think the only issue comes about with um, the loss of rugby clubs is potentially if any rugby clubs have a certain fixed cost per month that they must fulfill and they must, and the way they usually pay that is via sort of um, uh, food, drinks, and entertainment. They, those are the clubs that could potentially be in trouble. So any club that's got, that maybe has to have a fixed contract with, with them to rent their ground, to rent the clubhouse, they are the ones that would be most likely to be adversely affected if rugby doesn't return. But so with us, like Rackle Decker, we don't have particularly any fixed costs that we need to pay on a month-by-month basis. We rent out our pitches and we rent, uh, uh, yeah, we rent out our pitches and we rent uh, the changing facilities. Um, if we don't use it, we don't pay for it. So the only clubs that need to be worried, I would say, is any one club that has a um, a fixed term contract where they have to pay X amount per month. And those are the ones that I think may be susceptible to unfolding. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think we're. I think grassroots clubs should be okay. Yeah, as you, as you and said, if they if they're managed properly. Then I think I think they should be fine. Um, the, it might be a little bit scaremongering from Premiership clubs, uh, and to for uh, for those guys, I know they've got wages to pay and stuff like that. So and, and grassroots clubs don't necessarily have that really. Um, cool. Uh, there's just a couple of points from Dar- uh, one here from Darren, um, and it goes back on the. Um, the the point we made about the women's clubs, one being based in Cheltenham and one being based in, you know, you're playing a club in Newcastle. Uh, and he says, uh, the issues with the grassroots game is that the structure is in its infancy, meaning there are fewer clubs at the moment. So you can understand why, um, you know, a club from Cheltenham might be playing a club in Newcastle. And hopefully as the game grows, you'd expect that to sort of be even more regionalised. Do you think? Yeah, it's yeah. a chicken and egg, isn't it? Like it's just a massive chicken and egg for the women's game. Like, and even for the men, even the same as the men's game is like it's localized. Like, imagine in um, in some areas, you could have you know like 
like Larry said, he's played. He didn't go out of an eight mile radius. Like I think all of our games are outside of an eight mile radius. You know, yeah. that's the, you know, so and that were and they were the local ones. So it's that kind of you know, if you haven't got the clubs locally, you know, can you play? I, I think it's it, it, what I do think can be improved though. Um, and I think especially in the women's game, I think Lou Latter was really good at this. Um, and some of the women's women's networks is I think she communicates very well about the challenges that we're facing and. And what's happening? Um, I know there was some frustration around a lack of communication, probably made worse by the furlough, to be honest, and staff not being able to communicate. But I, I think, especially the state we're in now, as uh, nationwide, not just as a sport, I think if we communicate with each other a little bit better about the problems we're facing, and then people don't want to be understanding about those problems, then I think they're the problem. You know, at the end of the day, problems. No one, no one wants. The, the, the let's say Cheltenham ladies to be playing up in Newcastle. Nobody wants that. Like, and I think if anyone thinks that that's the case, you're putting a bit of reality check. So, um, you know, it's that, but it's that communication piece is, is so important that if you don't talk to anyone, you don't explain things, people think it's not on your agenda, it's not on your radar. Whereas, you know, if you're saying, look, we are aware that this travel is ridiculous, we are doing something to fix it, or we hope we have a solution. What do you think about this? And I think um, it starts to help those those challenges really. Definitely. Uh, another another point come from uh, Robert again. Are Saracens in the best position uh, as they are used to low attendances? Is that, is that right? <laughs> well, at, the, at the moment, I don't think they've got a league to play in. At the moment, uh, if the, if the if the sort of the things that came out the other day were that the championship clubs have had their their money gone from 1.2 million to 640 grand now down to 40 grand i don't i don't necessarily think they're going to be playing any rugby next year so um is that is that a fact as well now because I, I did read something about it a couple of days ago i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't i, I wasn't I sure so. I, I don't know i think there's more more to it than the attendances though like there's such a you know the the complex business so you they're, they're going to they're struggle as it is anyway but even clubs with existing sponsors, like there's so much um, like tied to attendances, and you know, like say if you're selling advertising on a really big screen, um, you'll be based on the fact that um, you know so many thousand people will be seeing that every week, and you you barely see the big screen at a game on BT. So you know, there's a challenge there. Um, so I think all clubs are facing it. I think Saracens might be in a good place though if they can get those games abroad on and potentially places where um you know go over there a couple of weeks quarantine i think they play the stormers something like that you know go and play some other clubs saracens might actually be in the best position not for the low attendances but if the championship season's delayed uh you know all this other stuff they could probably find other ways to get commercial activity off the ground whereas other clubs are going to be tied back into the premiership season and just trying to fight fight for you know relegation will be a thing next year so you know there'll be uh you know, it'd be tough. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're going to call it a, a night there. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, thank you all for your comments. Uh, thank you to Larry, Jordan and Nguyen for joining us. Uh, you can check this out again if you want to watch it again. It's going to be on YouTube a bit later and it's going to be a podcast uh, on Friday morning. So uh, check out uh, all our social channels and there'll be links to all of it, uh, all of there tomorrow. Um so yeah, just want to yeah, thank you again, Larry, Jordan, Ewan. Um, thank you for joining me. Uh, let's do it again one day. Let's check in and see how uh, how your clubs are getting on. 
uh, and how you're getting on once we're uh, getting a bit closer to some actual rugby. Amazing. Cheers, guys. Great. Great. Great Cheers, guys. Cheers, Japs. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Thanks again to Ewan, Larry and Jordan for chatting to me and apologies for any technical difficulties during the show. Huge thanks again to Rugby Store for supporting our show. Don't forget to use the promo code FYBPOD for anything at rugbystore.co.uk. And for more information on Philly Boots, please visit fybrugby.com. I've been Sean Phelan and you've been listening to the Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable.